today we're in a, uh, we are in a, a three-week series, or I'm sorry, a series called Godhead, and we're looking at the nature and character of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For the past couple weeks, uh, we've looked at a couple things as God our provider, and then last week we looked at God our protector. Today is a pretty powerful uh, subject. God gives us our identity. Identity is one of the first things that we start to become aware of. For the first few years of our life, uh, our family is our identity. Uh, I'm the youngest of four boys. Uh, my parents were Westsiders, uh, raised in the Western Hills area. I had to purchase a visa to get over here on the east side. Uh, I was three years old. Our family uh, migrated to southeast Indiana. My mom and dad wanted a farm. And uh, eventually we ended up at Rising Sun. And those, all those things are a part of my identity. Started going to NKU, met Kim, first day of college, 1989. Uh, eventually we were married here in the sanctuary. And then um, we had two children, Emily and Ben. Uh, Kim's a fifth grade teacher at Air. Uh, Ben's a librarian, or no, Emily's a librarian in Madeira. Uh, ben is an architectural student at Miami. He's a junior. And uh, both preachers and teacher kids, you know. Over the years, it's been fascinating to watch their identities uh, change and other things as they begin to try to define themselves in this world. It isn't long, though, you see through the influence of peers or teachers that identity uh, begins to have effect on someone. Or it isn't long before that identity begins to rival what your family is. It may be school, sports teams, or a hobby. In our high school in the 1980s, we had kind of five groups. We had the jocks, you know, and how these school defines it. Jocks, rednecks, nerds, rebels, preppies. And that's the only way I could define it back then. And you were in that. You couldn't help it. You, just, you were just in the midst of that. And I tried not to identify with one of those groups. However, you kind of get cross-pollination and everything. And it was really determined on how you dressed, what classes you took, who you hung out with, and even who you sat next to at the caf- in the cafeteria. Later in life, um, that begins, your identity begins to be centered around something that you do. Maybe you've chosen a trade or you decide to go to a college or university in order to prepare for a career. And then you come into that career and you see how that career can become a huge part of your identity. And so peers would sometimes influence those decisions. Before I was called into the ministry, I was drawn to be a writer. Uh, And I also minored in theater. My parents thought that I was going to be a comedian or do something writing for comedy. It all changed when I went to a soup kitchen with Cassie Coons and we were passing out food over in the over to the Rhine area. It changed because I was like, I wanted to change my major and I did to social work. And soon I was called into the ministry, heading, headed to seminary and bam, Pastor, see the identity. It's even at the beginning of your name, Pastor Jonathan. 
If you want to totally have nice, calm sleep on an airplane, just tell the people next to you that you're a pastor. They won't talk to you. It's a bummer, man. It is. It's funny how we define ourselves. There's so many roles and titles also that the world throws at us. You could put it under your Twitter handle. Mom, Jesus follower, seamstress, realtor. And sometimes, though, things go awire on the human journey. And I've once heard somebody get up and say, Hi, I'm Bill. I'm an alcoholic. And notice the power of that. Identity is a very strong influence, and it forms your place in this world, what you value, what you believe, and your ideals. So the text we are looking at today, it is pretty long. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And it's all about identity. Like several of the other letters Paul wrote, Ephesians doesn't address any particular error or heresy or church challenge. Paul wrote it to expand the horizon of his readers so that they might understand the dimensions of God's grace, his work, his eternal purposes in our lives and come to appreciate so that the Ephesians would come to appreciate those high goals and be able to see their identity in Christ Jesus. The letter opens with the first two verses, it's a greeting, and then it turns into a song of praise. And we're going to take a look at this together. He goes, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what are these spiritual blessings? Look and listen. Maybe even close your eyes and see if you can hear them and pull them out. And maybe there's some topics that could be a part of your life group discussions. Here's the spiritual blessings. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, daughtership, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And you can spend... So, so long in this spiritual dynamite. How many did you hear? What is Paul doing here? He's reminding them of their identity in Christ. That all things are now theirs because of the work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. He chose us before the creation of the world and adoption, redemption, forgiveness. And it's been because of all because of his love and grace. 
marked us with the seal of the Holy Spirit, raised us and seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. And he brought Jews and Gentiles together into the church in unity. Paul's telling us, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Identity. And he doesn't want his flock in Ephesus to forget who they are in Christ. Even though it was written in the first century, the words are timeless. They're eternal. And they have to be inserted in us in every particle of our DNA. Paul says we have to envelop it. First, the blessing, we are chosen. We are chosen. In verse 4 he says we're chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Before the creation of the world? Thomas Merton once asked, what am I? And then he answered, I am myself a word spoken by God. God spoke the spiritual into being. And he spoke with that spiritual, there's a fabric tie of the spiritual in us. We are a part of the spoken word that is created. And so how we perceive ourselves, who we think ourselves to be, determines the direction of our lives and shapes our relationships. To accept at the depth of our being that we're chosen by God is a remedy for our insecurities, negative self-talk, the lies of the enemy. It is the antidote to neurotic fears. It is the cure for our striving to be accepted. It heals our self-depreciation thoughts. It's the answer to our questions of identity that God looks at us and chooses us. And Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. Maxie Dunham writes this, we're not cogs in the machine wheels of an impersonal universe. We're not grains of sand on the, on the ocean beach of time. Lift your head, stand tall, stand up. You are somebody. The hairs on your head are numbered. And I know that's different for some of us. But you are loved by God. And nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from that love. And we said that last week. Remember who you are. Chosen. Chosen to be like God, holy and blameless. And God knows what is good for all made in his image. And God knows what is good for you. And to live in that freedom in holiness and blamelessness is incredible freedom to walk around here in this human journey in a dynamic, abundant life way. It's a reality of that freedom that God desires you and me. The next thing is we're adopted. Not only are we chosen, we're adopted. Verse 5 says, in, the love, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance his pleasure and his will. Paul says here, if, if you've come to know Jesus, your identity is in the fact that you are also adopted into the family. Child of God, son of God, daughter of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I know a couple in a previous church who deeply desired to adopt a, a, a child, boy, girl, boy or girl. They were not capable 
uh, biologically of having kids, and they constantly kept me in the loop on the adoption process. And months after months of waiting, they finally received that phone call in the middle of the night. It was a social worker from Dayton, and she said a young mother, young teen mother, just gave birth to a baby, and she wants to put him up for adoption. They called me. I don't even know what time it was. It was like middle of the morning, like 3 a.m., and they said, Jonathan, please pray. And I prayed with them over the phone, and they got to Dayton, and the social worker met him at the hospital door and said, I have something to tell you. This boy um, is hooked on crack cocaine because his mother was a crack cocaine addict, and he's detoxing as a baby. And then she put the question out into the air, do you still want him? They didn't hesitate. They said, yes, we want him. A couple months later, I had the honor and privilege to baptize that baby boy. His name's Jacob. The whole church celebrated the precious gift of that baby. I walked around the sanctuary, and I held him up for everyone to see as we sang, Jesus loves me. And he was not defined by that. He was defined as a child of God. He was adopted in so many ways by his parents, by the church, by God, adopted. See, it's God's good pleasure and will to adopt us no matter what. We're adopted. We're his. We belong to God. The other day I was reading uh, about a very exclusive auction that happened years ago. Uh, the money bid for the objects were auctioned, uh, I guess they were just far higher than you would have paid in an ultra-nice uh, department store. For example, the winning bid for a rocking chair that had been valued at $3,000 sold for $453,000. And it was the case throughout the whole duration. Uh, the automobile valued at, at $18,000 was sold for $79,000. A green set of tumblers valued at $500 Sold for $211,000. These articles, common, ordinary value, were sold for wild prices. Why? Because they were auctioned off from the estate of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. The value of these items auctioned off were sold on the basis of the one to whom they belonged. Why are you and I valuable? It's because of the one to whom we, we belong. You belong. Adopted. We have to remind ourselves that we are his, he, he is ours, and we may not always feel accepted. We may not always feel like we have access because we're not forgiven or blameless, but the truth is, is the way that God sees us is that way, priceless. It is the love in which he sees us that obliterates negative strongholds, false beliefs and lies of the enemy, and definitions that we place upon ourselves. You're not defined by any past failures. No, sir. And don't even let that lie lie to you daily. You're adopted. You and I may appear to be very ordinary people, but... God sees us as having ultimate value in him. Enough value that he gave his son on our behalf. 
Friends, don't let anyone tell you that you do not matter. Don't let anyone try to rob you of your identity. You've been adopted. You're priceless in him. The next thing Jesus or Paul talks about what Jesus has done is that we have redemption. Verse 7, he says, we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. So what does that word mean, redemption? You know, Ephesus was one of the largest slave markets in the Roman world. From 1000 BC to 1000 AD, Ephesus was the center of the trade empire. Paul is using their language here of redemption. I was going to pull out the Greek, but I can't pronounce it. The word redeem literally means to buy out. The term was used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. The application of this term to Christ's death on the cross is very, very telling. And it was very, very telling to these Ephesians. If we're redeemed, then our prior condition was one of slavery, but God has purchased our freedom and we're no longer in bondage to sin and to death and the law. Redemption is the slave is free, no longer under ownership. Chains fall off. How? How? Paul uses the term in him We have redemption through his blood. He's basically saying what God used wasn't money. It was his priceless son. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was paying the cost to bring our souls, to free our souls to God with his very self. Our chains fall off. Our heart is free. We rise, we go forth, and we follow thee, as Charles Wesley writes. Christianity is not about doing enough for God so that he finally likes us. And that is not something that should define you. That's performance, Jack. And that has no place in your relationship with God. He purchases us. He redeems us through the blood shed by him on the cross. And remember, that's a part of who you are. Next, we are sealed. Paul writes, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. A seal is a mark of ownership. It's a way of identifying what belongs to you. When I get a book, I sign it, put my name in it. Why? Because people, when they borrow them, especially other pastors, which are notorious book thieves, and I'm looking at you pastors out there, they forget where they got it. Linda Troy knows what I'm talking about. Hopefully, they open the cover and they see my name. The signature in my book is the seal stating that it belongs to me. The Holy Spirit in us is the seal, the identification of the fact that we belong to Christ. It's the seal of our inheritance of eternal life together in the unity of the Spirit. It serves to remind us God's blessing in the now and the blessings yet to come in him. It's an inheritance, and it's sealed and stamped and done, and it's forever. 
It keeps us secure in this jacked up world. The Holy Spirit whispers, you are mine. And it's under that seal. Hear those words this morning. You see, in those words is a claim. A claim. A claim. We no longer need to change who we are based on the opinions of others. Our professional successes. How we see ourselves. And all the other way that the world, uh, you know, defines significance. No. It gives us the opportunity to experience God's unconditional love in a new and fresh way. It allows us to confidently and boldly share his love with others, and here's the catch, and with ourselves. Do you share God's love with yourself? That's a part of the identity of a son and daughter of God. Think about that just for a moment. Remember who you are. When your job is gone or on the brink, it seems like the world is crashing down and you feel like your purpose is is just wavering. Hear that whisper. You are mine. When you're in shock from a recent diagnosis or feel like you just can't make it through, hear those words. You are mine. It's sealed up. You belong to God. And nothing can take that away from you. Nothing. Read Romans 8. It just gets into the particles of that. Remember who you are. Does it make a difference? I want you to listen how it changed Bobby Cabot's life. Dr. Bobby Cabot. Let's take a look at this video. I had an older brother who... um, sowed lies into me, and I think this happens for a lot of children, and I truthfully had what I call a trinity of lies, that I was fat, stupid, and ugly. I I remember in high school holding my little face in the mirror and saying, it's too bad you are so ugly. And when you walk in your life that way, you walk in total defeat and fear and shame and um, condemnation, self-condemnation. I was afraid to meet people. I was sure if I talked to you for two minutes, you'd realize how stupid I am. In our healing school, we do a chapter on lies, the lies that we believe, and I was doing my doctoral work, and I did that chapter, and over and over, I began to see that I had been rejected, that when my father died when I was 12, I accepted that as a rejection, even though obviously he didn't want to die. But my mother then left and I was rejected, and my brother then left and I was rejected. And so that fed into all the lies and the depression and the worthlessness. And so I found this all out in the healing school, um, and I went home. I was in Ashland doing my doctoral work, and I closed the door, and, and the Lord just became present for me. And I can't explain this any other way to say, except he caught me up. And I saw God as like the Lion of Judah, and he was holding pre-embryo me. And and my real name's Roberta, he's the only one who calls me that, but he was shouting to creation, this is Roberta, this one, not another one, this one, this is Roberta, my beloved, never rejected. And after that encounter, all the lies, 
the sense of rejection, the sense of shame, the sense of condemnation, all of that that I had walked in was healed. And now I truthfully know who I am. I know I am Roberta, never rejected. And as a matter of fact, he, he, he has me say, I am Roberta, God's beloved, never rejected. And until we know that about ourselves, this world's a very difficult place to live. So when I, when I met God and I began to understand the reality of him, I began to understand that part of my journey then would be to bring other people into the freedom and healing that I myself had received. February uh, 2019, we were doing um, Kill the Spider series, and I came to this church, you know, just really struggling with some things, and, you know, am I good enough, and some of those lies and everything, and, and Bobby, uh, that video really spoke to me, and I found through that series that, you know, those lies were there trying to steal my identity in him. And there's so much deliverance and healing that happened in my life. I don't know if you've ever been a victim of identity theft. It's crazy these days. It's been said that 15.4 million people in the United States were victim of identity theft. In the past six years, identity thieves have stolen almost $107 billion from people like you and me. Identity thief uses your name, address, credit card, bank, bank account numbers, social security to do you harm. <laughs> Funny, it happened last Wednesday. Someone sent me an email pretending to be Mark Rowland. Look at that thing. Put Mark, Pastor Mark Rowland caps. And I'm like, nope. This is like the second one. Send it to all the staff trying to get us. Folks, don't let anything, don't let evil or the world steal your identity. Don't believe the lies. You're not an accident. You're chosen. You have not been rejected. You're adopted into the family of God. You're not a slave. You are redeemed. You're not alone. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And we no longer need to change who we are based on the opinions of others or professional success, or failure. How we see ourselves and all the other ways that the world defines significance. When I remember that I am loved, I am, am empowered to love like God. When I remember that I am adopted, I see myself and others differently. Child of God. When I remember the price someone has paid for my redemption, I give of my resources and of myself differently. I remember who I am, and I live, I try my best to live my life in praise and for his glory. Today's a wonderful day to claim your identity. It is, if you have not. Don't let anyone or anything in this world ever, ever, ever steal it. You're chosen. You're adopted, you're redeemed, and you are sealed 
with the Holy Spirit. You know, after our closing song, we'll have some prayer partners up here, and you can remain socially distanced. And if there's anything on how the Lord spoke to you through this message today, it's a great day to just get into that identity defined by him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for the fact that you have changed the identity of of St. Paul in an amazing way. And we have taken a look at these riches of his words uh, revealed by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us as a gift. And God, may we not walk out of this place without knowing that you have chosen us, adopted us, redeemed us, and sealed us in the Holy Spirit. And God, may we live that throughout our lives, not listening to the lies of the world or the enemy, but allowing that to move and live in us by your Holy Spirit and be lived out in all we say and we do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.